0: Welcome to Is That Soul During the off season, you're about to listen to a three-part series with Nicole Sublet called "How to Attract Your Soulmate and the Love You Deserve." Enjoy this whole three-part series. It's about how to attract your soulmate and the love you deserve. You know, and that makes there's some assumption in that title with attracting the love you deserve this this concept of deservingness i guess exploring that and understanding this concept of deservingness is also important because many of us set the bar way too low for ourselves you know and then we when we when we go through situations especially challenging ones we tend to judge ourselves based off of these situations which is not the act of love at all you know love does not judge the way that we judge ourselves. But in our addiction to being perfect, is what I'll say, this addiction to being perfect and perfectionist, no more than merely the belief that we got to change something about ourselves in order to belong. This illusion of perfection that many of us fall into and all of us at some point fall into, it leads us down this path of being extremely uh, judgmental and shaming ourselves, and then convincing ourselves, forming beliefs around those, those some assum- these underlying beliefs about ourselves form beliefs that gives us permission to hide from life and to make permissions to not go out there and risk it all. What it pertains to love and as it pertains to love, but I'll say my, my belief and my perspective is that love gives nothing but itself and it seeks nothing but more of itself. That's the only gift. Love is the only acceptable gift to love. So to attract love in your life, it's important that you look at your energetic alignment and you look at your aura and you ask yourself, am I embodying that energy of love? And we can again, we can go into the philosophical debate of what is love, but love is so many different things. But ultimately, the way that I see love is it's the connective tissue that connects all of us, every last soul, and the chain is only as strong as its weakest link. That is true. When I look at this chain, called you know this this human species, this human race, when I look at this chain and I think about supposed weak links, love tells me to look at those links and see opportunities for me to assist myself by lifting up the other. You know, and I don't want to go too far into my own philosophical be, beliefs on love but operating from the premise that love connects we can ask ourselves are we being loving to ourselves and are we truly seeking love by understanding that it's our inner world that's real as opposed to the outer world and Nicole jump in please jump in at any point in time
1: yeah sure and i think when we're looking at love it, there's a it's really distinguishing between love And fear, because oftentimes when we're in love or loving relationships, we often tend to place a series of expectations. We tend to place a series of outcomes and desires as to what we want, how we want the other person to be, how we want the other person to show up. And then when that doesn't work out, that way we then name it as unloving but instead we're just really operating out of a place of fear because we have expectations that we feel aren't being met and sometimes what it is is that instead of putting the expectation on other is it's actually a calling to say what it, what is it that i need what is it within myself that actually needs to be nourished because we as humans were were fallible we're imperfect and and we tend to believe that someone is our counterpart, our whole, and that you know if we have them and we can make them do what we want, then it is the story it's the fairy tale happy ending that we desire, but in reality, it's not the other in reality it's the emotion it's the experience that we want, and it actually is very. Rarely reliant on other. What it actually is, is that we're trying to cultivate an experience of understanding, an experience Mm -hmm. of something that we want within ourselves. And so oftentimes when we say, oh, I want this person and I want them to love me and I want to be in a relationship with them. It's not the other. It's actually, we want to be in a relationship. We want to actually have and feel the experience of love. And oftentimes, we can create and cultivate that experience in ourselves. Like you were saying, Harry, we can actually create the experience of love and then actually recognize that love is limitless and it's not limited to idealisms or conditions, it's not limited to that at all. It's actually a state of being. It's a state of living, and it's a state of breathing.
0: I'm right there with you on that one. A state of being, and all love, be it, and again, this is my my belief. All love, be it romantic, or or otherwise, all love is is unconditional. Any true love is unconditional, in that it has no conditions. Love places no conditions on us. We don't have to be a certain kind of way you know, to, to be deserving of love. You know, love is and it accepts us as is. The issue is that we don't accept us as is because we were sent many messages of being un- uh, unacceptable to others. So how do you raise that vibration, you know, on this, on this part three, this last part of the series, how do you raise that vibration and create loving vib- uh, vibrations? How do you raise that frequency? You know, and so imagine visualization being one of the most powerful tools. And I have many references to go to, but this time I'll reference actually a grief book called, well, a book focused on helping people to heal from their grief called Love is Greater Than Pain. And it says, you know, just visualize this and feel this for a moment. A raised vibration is that tingling feeling when we hear a newborn baby cry, the silent awe we experience. When we see a beautiful sunrise or sunset, the wave of emotion we feel when we witness an act of loving kindness or pure generosity, the awakening we experience as we watch children discover the glory of the world around them, the bliss calm we feel when we take the time to meditate or simply to focus on our breath, the peace that permeates us when we are at one with nature, when we listen to the ocean or a forest hushed. Orchestra—the inclusive joy in expansion we experience when participating in and appreciating the arts. That incredible wave that comes when we know, just know, that along with our everyday life, we are experiencing something more. We can feel it in real time. A loved one who has passed has given us a hug. Maybe they are drawing our attention to something that will comfort us—a song, a bird, a good luck penny, raised vibration. When one becomes aware of experiencing it, it's often accompanied by a chill, accompanied by a chill or goosebumps. That's how intense that vibration is, and you stay there. You stay in that vibration, just the visualization and the feeling of, of what it is that What I just read, if you were in tune and present with it, it induced these really loving and comforting emotions, I'm sure, as it's designed to. The longer that you stare. Into that space, the longer that you stand in that room of of higher vibrations, the more that you are refueling and, and energetically aligning your energetic field, your aura to that vibration of love. Because whatever we stare at becomes a reality because perception is reality. So, how long can we keep the perceptive lens of love? How long can we stay looking through that lens? The longer that we stay there, the more that we refuel and energize our aura to that vibration. And then that, which we energize ourselves with, we attract. And that's when that, that karmic, we're allowing ourselves, leveraging that, that universal law of cause and effect of karma, that's when that comes into play. And now you see other people coming into your life because now you've decided to begin to love yourself and accept yourself and begin to experience the fullness and incompleteness of your own authenticity, the enjoyment of your own space, occupying your space and being present in that space. Other people, that attracts other people, that becomes a gravitational force for other people to come along and see what the business is about. What is the buzz about? Why is this person so content and fulfilled with life when so many other people are practicing being miserable throughout life? What is it about this person? And then that's when that collision happen. And the the, the task at that point, then I find, just to give you a little cliff notes, it's not about going this far, but the task for me, I find is remaining in that space, in that vibrational field, because it's no more than a choice for us to lower that frequency. But that's why a life of authenticity is a life of skillfully practicing, living through your values, because it's a skill to say, oh, I'm in this space let me go and raise my vibration by thinking about the tingling feeling when it, when I hear a newborn baby cry, or the silent awe we experience when we see a beautiful sunrise or sunset. Nobody thinks about that when they're pissed off. No one thinks about that when they're having disagreements, or 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 misinterpreting, or not seeing eye to eye with the other. And so that's where the skill must come into play because we must we must break ourselves out of that illusion. We got to snap ourselves out of that dreamlike trance of projecting onto the other. And really seeing that it's something that we need, a need that we're seeking that is going unmet and understand when even the words that we use, we use our words against ourselves. When we say, I want a thing, again, the definition of want implies lack. So then that sends out the energy of lack. We can't have what we want because indeed what we're saying is I lack. And we send that out, but you can experience what you choose and intentionally respond to. People have a lot of wants, and people die with a lot of wants, unfortunately. But those that that really truly experience the fullness of life, they are a constant state of being present and choosing. And then in that present state, seeing what's true for them there. And if they like that experience, if they enjoy it, if it's true for them, if they're fulfilled by it, they can stay there a little longer or they can choose another experience. But it's a choice never forget that. You have your own autonomy. And again, I'm not giving any therapeutic advice here, but cognitive flexibility, that's a sign of health. The ability to look at various options and to switch up your style, as it were, and to adjust to your environment. So if your internal environment as such, that it's filled with negative self-talk, that it is filled with with cognitive distortions of jumping to conclusions, of overgeneralization, of catastrophizing everything, you know, I've seen black and white, all or nothing thinking. When you begin to identify these, these mechanisms that the inner critic uses to keep us safe by tricking us to believe that the enemy is outside of us as opposed to dealing with these fears that we have on, on the inside, we begin to understand that that awareness is key key to being liberated from our own biological, built-in defense mechanism of deception. Deception is truly a defense mechanism. We needed that to, to escape enemies and predators. Unfortunately, when we don't understand these things, These things control us. And so then we deceive ourselves and we can end up living a lie. We could spend our entire life living a lie, using our mind's ability to deceive, to deceive our very selves. And the worst lie you can tell is a lie to yourself. And so how do we raise these loving vibrations? You develop the skill of being uh, aware of where you lay your awareness, where you're placing your attention, you know, what's important to you, what really represents your values. And when it comes down to love and relationships, this is the reason why sex is 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 well is meant to be as enjoyable as it is because sex is the one physical act that we can do that brings us as close as possible to oneness to oneness that physical act it brings us closest to oneness and that oneness that 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 if it's a pleasurable experience that orgasmic experience that you have that's what home feels like. And that's why we enjoy it and seek it out so much, you know, but Nicole, please, I I can continue on, but I definitely want to get you in. I've, you know, I've been running it for a minute, please.
1: I think when we're talking about that and Harry, thank you for that reading. It was really quite beautiful. And we're talking about, you know, having different internal states and, you know, being in resonance with the energy of love. And I think it's, it actually reminds me of a story, you know, I was working with a client and my client and their fiance were talking about, well then was not fiance, but they were talking about the idea of becoming engaged and the idea of becoming married. And my client shared with me that their partner said that their partner did not want to become engaged at the time, because she did not love herself enough, and I thought that was the most beautiful thing is that this woman had recognized. She was not ready to be engaged because she realized she did not recognize herself enough, and she knew that without that self love, she would only be able to contribute in a limited capacity to the relationship, and you know, bring in a lot of her unhealed baggage and a lot of her unhealed internal wounding into the relationship. And so she actually wanted to work on herself more before making the commitment so she could show up as a as a more healed version of herself. And it's hard to show up for someone else when you don't know how to show up for yourself. Mm. And then we can ask ourselves, how can we give of ourselves when we internally don't think that we're anything worth giving? Mm. And how can we extend our light if we actually really believe that there's no light within ourselves? And so I think it's important to look at our wounding, looking at where we're showing up and not looking at our wounding as a way to beat ourselves up or compare or to be less than, but as a way as to being whole, as a way to being complete. And so we're, once again, in that frequency and that energy of being loving, because if we don't do that, then sometimes what we do is that once again, we show up in our relationship with all our wounding and our triggers. And then we automatically put that wounding and our triggers on our partner Mm -hmm. to do that work for us. And when our partner, if they decide to capitulate or show up a certain way, so we're not triggered, then we've never actually done the work and we've put it on our partner, which puts us into this cycle of codependency because we're relying on someone else to prevent us from actually feeling our pain, our wounding, and our triggers. And so it's really important that we are practicing being accountable for how we show up and being accountable for who we are without necessarily pointing the fingers on other. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's also practicing surrender. And if we feel like... We can't do that for ourselves is maybe surrendering to our higher beliefs and surrendering to our higher purpose and to be and surrendering to become more open channels for flow and in love and also working on when we're working on love is practicing seeing the innocence in ourselves practicing seeing the grace within ourselves and that way we can see the innocence and grace Within other people, and so when we have a partner and they just show up as who they are, we allow them that innocence and grace because we've allowed ourselves that innocence and grace. And then that can create a beautiful relationship where two people are practicing healing themselves Mm. and practicing their own sovereignty and autonomy, and then they can show up to create wholeness in a relationship together. Mm.
0: And Nicole, I'm going to toss it right back to you. I just want to just add something, if I can borrow for 60 seconds and say— You know, one of these one of the quotes that I that I'm looking at, it says someone who is able to fully let in love is someone who is willing to live in the mystery of who they are. (laughs) Jumping on what it is that you said and and backing up what you said, you know, in the in one of the other books that I refer to uh, and have read myself many times. The Self-Acceptance Project is the title of the book, How to Be Kind and Compassionate Toward Yourself in Any Situation. And you know, I was I, as Nicole was talking, and again, I told you, I should those insights will leave you have you walking away from this place with your head shaved. I'm telling you, she's sharp. But as she was talking, it reminded me of, of the chapter seven in the book when I read, which is Curiosity is Key. And it says, We often write about a concept that we've developed called zero negativity or ZN in relationships. When one decides to go ZN or zero negativity, They relinquish all transactions that quote-unquote put down their partner. Examples include rolling your eyes, frowning, or saying, where did that come from, in a pejorative tone. All of these interactions devalue or make another person bad in some way. ZN or zero negativity includes surrendering negative references to oneself also. Zen is both implicit and explicit in most of the spiritual practices and traditions in the world. Simply sitting in meditation and watching our thoughts arise and learning to release them without judgment, letting them go. That's a part of moving toward a relational zero negativity. It's about being in a relationship to the self and zero negativity. So these these the, the judging mind, you know, the same the same book I reference and I've taught my clients about the difference between the emotional mind, the logic mind, and the wise mind as states of being, as concepts. And the emotional mind is, and I quote, when, when our thinking and behavior are driven by our emotions in the moment, and I say the polar opposite of that is a logical mind in which it is a purely rational state that gives absolutely no consideration to the emotional aspect of how we feel about something. And then there is the wise mind, which is the synthesis of both the emotional mind and logic mind. It is a state of mind where you have a logical perspective, but can also acknowledge and appreciate the emotional aspects of a situation. With the wise mind, we can get back to that wise mind or endorse and and regulate both parts of us, all parts of us, by using grounding practices like mindfulness, awareness practices, emotional regulation, you know, one of the practices I'll use when I'm thinking of unhelpful or, or unhealthy thoughts is uh, the process of RAIN, which Dr. Tara Brock, I learned that from Dr. Tara Brock. And her, her method is a little bit different with the N, but I'll go through it real quick. R represents, recognize that you're having this emotion. A, accept the emotion. Without judgment, radical acceptance is needed in that space. You have to understand that skill of non-judgment and radically accepting yourself. So R is recognize that you're having an uncomfortable, challenging emotion. A is accepted without judgment. The I represents investigate with curiosity. That curiosity is key. That curiosity will lead you to your truth. So, I is investigate with curiosity and N, as Dr. Tara Brock put it, is to nurture or introduce self-compassion. Other uh, practitioners and healers, they'll say the N represents to not identify. Myself, the way that I remember it is I'll go through the process of R-A-I, and when I get to N, my N is never mind that. Because once I recognize that I'm thinking about something that does not represent my truth, at this point, I practice cognitive diffusion exercises to the extent where it's easy for me to just say, never mind that, and then move my awareness on to this point right here. Pardon the English. But that's that's pretty much how I operate. But Nicole, let me toss it right back to you. I just wanted to just interject and back up what you were saying.
1: I appreciate that, Harry. And I also love Tara Brock's work and this concept of radical acceptance, which is just being really open and accepting to what is the good, bad, ugly, and, and neutral. And part of this process, as we're talking about, and all love comes down to and this whole combina- culmination of all that we're talking about, is that this is this is about the internal state, the internal state of being, and like attracting like. And so if we're practicing those resonant states of love, peace, joy, and gratitude— We can really move through any space, any relationship. It doesn't mean that it's going to always be easy. It doesn't mean that we're not going to face difficulties. But what it does mean is that we can move through these spaces with increased resiliency, Mm. increased openness, and increased compassion. And that ultimately, what we find is that all that we desire to experience is that we can truly align with that within ourselves, mm-hmm. and the gift of love is really within ourselves. And that gift Eric, did you want to? Say-
0: yeah, please. I you know I wanted to ask you, when you say the gift of love is within ourselves, can you elaborate a little bit more for the people?
1: I'm sorry, can you elaborate your question more?:
0: Yeah, when you say the gift of love is within ourselves. Can you expound on that concept, like it being within oneself, you know? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. If we take it to the the perspective of love being within ourselves, and I think it depends on people's orientation about what their beliefs are. But it kind of reminds me of that, I don't know, And one of those stories, <laughs> don't call me where it comes from, is that, that pauper who's outside and I feel like this is a Buddhist story and I'm sure someone knows more about this than I do. But this pauper is outside and he's begging for money and people are passing him by, but it turns out the entire time, all that he's seeking, it turns out that he's sitting on a chest of gold. And I know that I seriously paraphrase that but what I'm saying is super analogous to that is that we often believe that what we want and desire is actually outside of us and that it comes from other and in fact it actually does not come from other it comes from within and if we actually look at other and science even says and I know there are people on here who are really into science that we're actually all connected and it is separation that is an illusion and actually in fact that there really is no thing such thing as other because we're all connected and so when we're talking about love it can really feel like a gift because when we're going inside it can be like a discovery and recognizing that we all have capacity we all have capacity for many things we have capacity for love we also have the capacity for hate we have all these things that are inside of us yet as we Do a lot of work and we can find out our strengths or sometimes what I like to term as our, even our own superpowers. It can feel like these real gifts as we go in, we can really find out what we are, not necessarily who we are moving beyond the ego and the capacity for our own human greatness. Mm. And you know, and our purpose for being here and and living out our purpose. And when we're in that constant place of self discovery, with an openness, with a curiosity, it can actually feel more as a gift than than a burden. And when we're in the space of gratitude, we can see that all is a gift. And oftentimes, even the struggles that we're going through and even the darkest of nights or even doing facing our own shadows, it all is gifts. And I have found in my own process, in my own work, and even working with clients, is that sometimes the biggest challenges and the biggest struggles are the biggest blessings in life because they give us the opportunity to understand and to know ourselves.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and again, the life. Thank you so much, Nicole. Just Maya Angelou on the on the mic. You know the the gift. You know, of being able to see oneself apart from these self-hating thoughts that really we develop to protect ourselves against getting harmed again. When you become aware of these things, then you become liberated from these deceptions that we create. These mental structures. You know, one of the things that I, you know, being. And I understood. I understood before I spoke out about it that, you know, this would be the case. But one of the things that people, well, the only thing so far that people have found issue with, as far as things I put in social media, is the concept of a toxic person And my take that there's no such thing as a toxic person. There's toxic environments. You know, this you can be in a toxic environment. I mean, hell, I worked in in toxic environments, worked on barges and whatnot. You know, I've had a lot of blue collar jobs, but I, I do not believe in a toxic person, the concept of it, because it's not a compassionate concept. It's a it's a labeling. And when I think of toxic, I think of waste. And now we all need to get rid of waste. We all need a detox. But just because I have to get rid of waste doesn't mean that I am waste. And so, even looking at how we view we make judgments on the other. If the other is truly a reflection of oneself, as Nicole uh, emphasized that we're all connected. And I emphasized earlier with with the chain analogy. If if we're all connected and the other's a reflection of oneself, then going back to to that that principle of loving the other as you love yourself, what would love say in this situation? You know, I'm married and And, you know, I'm sure my wife doesn't mind me saying this. I'm because of the different practices that I have and the different interactions I have with people throughout the day. I had two sessions before I began this 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 call. It just came right out of a session, you know, and I hear the same complaints, the same grievances stated over and over again. And that gives me a bird's eye view on things. And so oftentimes I'm much more aware of my wife's negative self-talk and projected pain than she is. Even though the projection at times is there, because I am aware, I choose to do the loving thing, which is be compassionate and then wait for an opportunity. And that opportunity, she's going to make that known or whoever you deal with, they'll make that known. Wait for the opportunity for that person to be curious enough to hear what you said, because a debate, would never drive the would never uh, bring progress uh, would never bring progress it it, it has to be a dialogue and that requires two people to be open to that dialogue and so not only noticing these subconscious defense mechanisms that we utilize against each other you know to label and judge and condemn and whatever else which is really just us trying to protect ourselves the mind needs to know what is dangerous and what is not that's why these phrases become a fad you know before long toxic person, that phrase will no longer be here. And everybody that earned money off of it, they will have been gone and this and that. And another phrase will replace that, it'll be the same thing, just another mental structure to get us to look at a thing and believe in this thing and operate from that space. But again, if you use critical thinking skills, you're even analyzing that. Ultimately, you look at your values. When you align, when you look at your values, you realize that your values, the foundation of all these values is love. George, I don't care who you are. I don't need to know who you are. I know that if you are paying attention to your values, when you examine those values, you'll see underlying these values, whether it be family or or whether you are you know hard hardcore you know patriot and it's all about you know what's protecting the United States, whatever. At the foundation of whatever your value is is love. even with the stranger that you may collide into in the grocery store or whatever, you know when these interactions happen, am I operating in love? or fear. That's really the choice. Love or fear. And what would love do now? You know, if for someone who is incarcerated, who gets locked up for burglary, my response to them is much different than my response would be if my child did something like that and they were arrested. I know this because I was a clinician, a mental health clinician in a multi-level security prison, and I had mothers call all of the time asking how their baby is doing. Even though their baby may have chopped off 12 heads, but still looking through the lens of love, that's their baby, you know? And I'm not saying be Pollyannish. Don't get it confused. We have to be realistic here. But at the same time, what is love? What would love do now? Are we operating out of love or fear? I can tell you from being in the Correctional Institute, just using that institution as an example, that institution is based off of fear and punishment, which is why people typically get worse, not better when they go in there, which is why they allow certain tortures to go on in there and even broadcast. You know, it'd be well known. But knowing that 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 there's no app that we we're in a state culturally of a state of apathy towards these said inmates or these outliers of society, these deviants of society, they know that it's a free for all, And it is. I'm speaking from that place because I want you to understand that this lack of love, it, it not only impacts us on a personal level, it impacts our relationships, and it impacts society in general. Why would I ever want to to cause harm to somebody I don't even know based off of what they look like or what they believe in? Why? Why would I want to cause harm to someone based off of them not believing in And what I believe, why do I need them to believe what I believe? You see, a lot of these grievances, they, the source of these things are needs that are going unmet, but the way that our defense mechanisms our defense, our ego states, the way that they go about solving these unmet needs, it's always the wrong way and only produces more of the same. It's only through the lens of love that we can have our true our truly have our needs met because we have to look at ourselves accurately first. So I'm not gonna force you to give me something that you don't have when I know that even if you have it, it ain't for you to give. It's really for me to give to myself. But I have to be aware of that first. Love never fails. Nicole come on. I could I could you know I could keep running the Nicole, but I won't get you in here. Please jump on in here.
1: Thank you, Harry. And I love that question of asking ourselves where are we operating from? Is it love or fear? Or when we're trying to determine certain outcomes or have certain expectations, is it coming from a place of love? Is it coming from a place of fear? And then also recognizing that. All our relationships, no matter the outcome, are really beautiful opportunities to learn. And we can really learn through one through one another. Because what happens in relationships, we tend to be mirrors for each other. And it's helpful to remember that when we're in the process of these things that Oftentimes, when we're upset with another, that the person has as much upset as we do, or they've known as much pain as we have, or they're as scared as we might be. And so we can really relate to one another in deeper context.
0: Mm, the fear. Go ahead. Talk. talk. Go ahead. Go on. I don't mean to cut you off, but yet that, that fear is so, to be aware of that is so crucial. But please continue.
1: What do you mean, Harry?
0: That fear, to understand that that fear is present and to lean into that discomfort, understanding that you can have a different relationship with your fear. Because I learned that fear, this fear, this fear emotion causes to create so much chaos. You know, the frequency of fear creates so much chaos because I understand that I needed to understand my enemy as the the art of war says, suggests, you know, you got to understand your enemy. And so when I began to study This concept of fear or false evidence appearing real, I begin to understand that when we operate out of fear, we are in a complete defense. We are in this state of complete protective mode. And so we can't even see outside of ourselves is in this state of fear that we actually become selfish or what I call what I call selfish, which is really to be not in total self energy or not looking, not moving from that space of self energy. So we're sort of kind of ourselves sort of kind of like having a flu, you know, like, okay, well, Harry, he's himself, but he has the flu. So he's not completely himself. Well, in states of selfishness, or what we've deemed to be selfish, I don't believe that selfishness is the way that is conventionally thought. I believe that selfishness is when we, when we operate outside of ourselves in that we operate outside of self energy. You know, knowing that energy, love, compassion, this curiosity, you know, these these things are, are values of self-energy and authenticity. You know, look up the eight Cs of internal family system. I love the way that they, they the concepts that they put together. And actually I'm gonna do that, you know, I'm gonna do that while I'm talking, Nicole. If you could just jump on here for a second while I look that up to let people know what self-energy is conceptualized as according to internal family systems.
1: Yes. Yes. And then, Harry, also, um, when you're looking that up and then also explaining um, also what uh, internal family systems are, because it, it is a conceptualization how, of how a lot of therapists work with people. It's one way to conceptualize a therapy. What I wanted to talk about, though, is, as Harry's saying, you know, about Leaning into the fear, leaning into the discomfort, and also recognizing though, when we're in a relationship, that oftentimes we're in relationships with someone that's maybe equally as fearful. And that's one way we can actually practice uh, compassion, though compassion for ourselves and then also compassion for others. And when we can practice compassion, we can also allow freedom, allowing people. To show up as they are. And what often happens though instead in in love is that we tend to be perhaps the most angry or the most mad at to those to the ones that we invite in closest to us. Because in the closeness of that relationship, because it can be so close and it can be so intimate sometimes, it can really be uh, a playground for triggering the ego because the ego doesn't always like to be seen. The ego doesn't like to necessarily be discovered and the ego sometimes can be really insidious in its mechanisms. It can be really good at disguising itself. And so sometimes true intimacy can also mean ego death. And that's often why we can become so triggered in our relationships with each other. And one way to get around that is really in that act of radical acceptance, radical acceptance for as how we show up and also practicing radical others for how others show up. But first that radical acceptance is first practicing it with within ourselves, the way to get there.
0: Yes. Thank you, Nicole. And again, bringing back up the fear, both people being afraid. Oh yes, we are afraid. And, and this is this is what is contributing to, in my, my belief, what is contributing to before the pandemic of 2020, what the World Health Organization themselves declared to be an epidemic of loneliness and that the the health impact of loneliness, it destroys us. It, it ends our lives. I think they made it equivalent to like smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. Like, don't don't quote me on that. So you can live in ent- You could be a health nut, but experience excruciating loneliness and it has that same impact on your body. So, again, ignorance and freedom can not coexist. So in, in this state of trying to connect with the other, with loving vibrations, understand that fear is not a possibility If fear is going to be there. Oh no! Not in today's day and age. Fear are gonna be there because the amygdala is always, or the fear center of the brain is always trying to assess what is and isn't a threat. I'll be vulnerable for for this because I, I believe that I should practice what it is that I I serve. I should eat what I serve. And and by the way, any chef that doesn't eat what they serve is don't eat their food. They, they're not worth their salt. But anyway, being vulnerable. One of the things I had to learn about myself throughout over the time is that because of Again, Nicole was talking about who's in your circle, because of these various attachment betrayals, beginning with the first one being a trigger warning—the murder of my my cousin when I was young, and then me not understanding how to deal with that grief. You know, whenever it comes to connection, I have to be mindful of of R O C D. I know many of y'all may not have have heard of that, but it's. It's relationship OCD or relational OCD. There are symptoms that have manifested in the past based off of that just the the initial connecting with people. So that initial first stage, you know, I had to manage that because I had been I had been traumatized or I had had experienced so much pain that my pain body or the memories of these painful things would come up when it came down to proximity because it's always those who are closest to you that end up causing the pain because of proximity. They have to you can't touch me unless you're close to me. So then these traumatic, these traumas end up being attachment betrayal. So then what do we do? We start to watch who we allow in our circle. So even when you want, even when the desire to connect and, and, and to, to learn from each other is there, understand that there's another part of you there too. And that part is always assessing, looking, you know, and when it is triggered, you have to be able to understand what that trigger is and then do something about it. You know, again, the, the, you know, I'm referring back to this book called The Self Acceptance Project. It states in here talking about the triggers. It says a trigger, which can be anything at all something someone says or does, a situation at work, an article you read about George Clooney, a visit with a friend. You start comparing yourself to it, them, your own expectations of what you thought was going to happen and didn't, or you thought you were going to become and haven't. And the trigger is very personal and conditioned by your history and vulnerabilities. So then you watch for the physical reaction and the emotional reaction, and then you again a life of authenticity is a life of skillfully practicing living through your values. Then you do the cognitive diffusion exercises, be it rain, be it listening to a meditation like leaves on a stream, which is also another cognitive diffusion exercises which separates you, allows you to see that you are not your emotions instead of looking through the lens of your emotions, now you see that you're experiencing emotion and you can say, "Aha, I'm aware of my thought now, I'm aware that I'm experiencing this emotion, but I am not this emotion and then you can begin to skillfully navigate yourself back to what has been defined by a different treatment modality called internal family systems back to self energy. And I just wanted to mention the eight C's real quick, and then we could Nicole, the rest of it is is you and we can invite on whoever want to come up real quick. I know we don't have much time, but real quick, I'm not going to find them all, but I'm going to give you the broad C's. The eight C's of self leadership is calmness, clarity, curiosity, compassion, confidence, courage, Creativity, connectedness. Again, that's calmness, clarity, curiosity, compassion, confidence, courage, creativity, and connectedness. And you'll realize why these, why the, these C's, these are the, the concepts, the values that are the virtues that are emphasized when it comes down to self energy, like compassion and understand that we, again, can say the same words but we we'll are reading from different dictionaries. So they define and I define compassion as to be openly hearted, present and appreciative of others and oneself without feeling the urge to fix, change, distance or judge, fix, change, distance or judge. Now, look at all your relationships, including if you're married, you know, look at your even that relationship, especially that relationship, as a matter of fact, and ask yourself how much compassion is there. It's hard not to you know, to not to want to fix or change or, or judge something that you know that this person that you're sharing this space with and is going to be here and, and they love you enough to deal with your shit, so they're not going to go anywhere. It's a challenge for us to introduce that compassion in that space. Again, proximity. It's not the people on the outside that we are, that, that really we cause harm to when we project. It's always going to be our inner circle. We treat strangers way better than we treat our inner circle, a lot of us uh, way better than we treat our inner circle. So that compassion must be there. Not only that, but that confidence. And so confidence, again, fear being there, fear being there and fear saying, F that I ain't, you know, hide, go away. No, no, no. Or judge confidence is to maintain the ability to stay fully present in a situation and effectively handle or repair anything that happens. Knowing you have, when you have confidence, you believe that even if you make a faux pas or mistake or whatever, you have the confidence that you can still be present and then learn even from your own mistakes. Because even when we stumble, we still stumble forward. Failure is just a painful side of success. And so you must fail. You must stumble and you must get up again. Now, you don't have to repeat that cycle. Many of us will repeat that cycle, that same stumbling cycle, our entire lives, unfortunately. But as we are liberated by understanding the mind, ignorance and freedom can't coexist. As we are liberated and understanding that universal rule, know thyself. As we are liberated from our fears, our very presence gives others permission to do the same. In that space, even when my wife does not have self energy, she is not embodying self energy, I'm aware that, that self energy is absent. I embody, I choose to be intentional more so then than any other point to embody self-energy so that she can regulate and feel safe again. Ultimately, and I say safe again, because ultimately to simplify the role of, of, of the clinician outside of the severe mental health disorders and addressing those, the role of all of mental health is just to help people feel safe again. We don't feel safe people. We don't. And that's what's causing a lot of this dissension and and misinter- misinterpretations and disagreements, and then attacking, and then labeling, and then judging, and then distancing, and then trying to fix, and all of these other things, all of these prejudices and biases. All right, all right. Nicole, you got the rest. But thank y'all, thank y'all. But Nicole, you got you, you got the rest. I know we don't have much time left, but please.
1: Yeah. So I, I do want to close it out here, just because we only have a, a minute to to go. But to just talk about what was Harry was saying, and I think though a lot of times we are triggered by those closest to us is because oftentimes we choose people to be in our inner circle that actually subconsciously we've picked because they are, they represent unhealed facets of ourselves. And so what we do is we choose these people, we invite them in, and then we psychically try to kill them off because it, they represent unhealed parts from our past, typically in our in our formative years.
0: I definitely want to just encourage y'all to please let people know about Nicole's site and, and that she's a brilliant clinician and very powerful healer, very intuitive. I'm glad that I learned how to put a link to her website up today so that people can just click but please share her website. Let her know that this is a real a healer, a real clinician, authentic clinician who knows her stuff and and can see into people's spirits and help to raise up that frequency to help provide true healing. And with the experience in hypnotherapy, I could go on and on. Y'all could check out the website, but just, you know, just, just know that she's legit. Please spread the word. We need more clinicians who are legit out there representing this field. And I'm done. I'm done, Nicole. And I thank y'all. Thank y'all for this series. Thank y'all for being a part of it.
1: Yes. And I just want to thank everyone and thank you, Harry, for the really kind endorsement as well. I super appreciate it. And everything you said about me is spot on. So <laughs> I just wanted I just want to thank everyone once again for being here. And I hope that everyone has a beautiful afternoon ahead of them.
0: Yes, yes. Y'all take it easy, man. Love and respect. Yeah. <laughs>